Welcome to episode 82 of Friends of Film, a podcast that's latest movie news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Matt Damon on a tricycle, Terminator's Return, Bond Directors, and more after review Atomic Blonde. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man scared to cross the paths with Charlize Theron, Josh Straley. I wouldn't even want to look at her, dude. No. She, oh, she kicks so much butt in this movie. Whew. It's, it's terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. so we are reviewing Atomic Blonde this week, which stars Charlize, and uh, yeah, we're going to get right to it, and uh, it's my week to start, but before we get into the review, in case we get into spoilers, if we do, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode, so you guys can skip the spoilers if you have not seen it yet, but hopefully you have, so you can stick with us through the entire episode and all the way through our break and the news, but we'll just kick it off right away with our review of the Atomic Blonde. And I think this movie, like, she didn't really need it to, but it just solidified Charlize as one of the best female action stars, you know, of this generation, of any generation, really. I mean, she, yeah, like you said in the opening, she kicks so much butt. Uh, It is insane. Her Mm -hmm. fights are brutal and thrilling, whether it's uh, the one in the car. I mean, they pretty much showed pieces of every action piece in the trailers, which... I didn't know how I felt about that uh, totally, but I it, they didn't spoil any of it, and they still left a lot of off actor in like the middle, end of the second act, beginning of the third, when they have this insane, what they make to look like a one take yeah. uh, that's like eight minutes long. David Leach, the director, has said it's not a one take, but the fact they actually cut and used a couple camera tricks here and there mm-hmm. to make it look like it was all one take, but even if it was two or three takes in total what they pull off in there is just mind-blowing it is uh one of the best action like you know fight scenes i've seen in recent memory uh rivals anything from the john wick franchise and you know i mean goes up there with like you know creed was that creed fight still holds dear place in my heart because that was an actual one take but uh i mean this game this comes pretty close and it's not like this is just you know an action film for charlize she gives a really good performance Mm -hmm. uh her her character is very cold and you know she's very just distant doesn't want anybody to really interact with her but then uh she also gets to expose some layers to that character as the story plays out she gets close to sophia batella's character uh which i think this may actually be her best performance i've seen of sophia batella on screen so far because if you look at like Kingsman, she doesn't really say anything. It's really just action. Uh, Star Trek, she's covered in makeup and yeah. she's like an alien, which again, like doesn't she doesn't have the opportunity to emote a lot. Where this one, I actually got to see her like, you know, emotes, acts, uh, do other things other than just kicking butt, which she's great at, and mm-hmm. I love seeing her do it in this movie. But she got to do a lot more, and I appreciated that a lot. Um, David Leach, this is her his, I believe, his directorial solo debut because he previously did. The John Wick movie with um, uh, the Z- other Zelensky. John Wick, yeah, Chad uh, Chad Stahelski. Stahelski, yes. yes, Chad Stahelski, uh, and I think they were trying to basically go for that female John Wick with this movie, and I don't think he they quite get there because, whereas with for me with John Wick that it is, is such a simple story, simple premise, it's just revenge, and that's all it is. Where this one. David Leach tries to complicate the story a little bit here and there, throwing in traitors and, you know, 
secret code names and you don't really know who to trust and then they try to switch it over a couple of times you're like okay i get what you're going for but i don't Mm -hmm. know if i necessarily buy it every single time you try to you know switch it up again um there's also the way that the story unfolds i'm sure you just knew right from the start i probably would have a problem with it because it is kind of flashbacky uh in its narrative with you know we start it in basically the end of the movie and then it's her recanting the events that happened to her in Berlin to John Goodman and Toby Jones. And you're like, okay, I get it. I get why they're doing this. But there was also weird moments where they had like cut back to her for like three seconds mm-hmm. and then cut back to the flashback. I was yeah. like, why, why are you sh- cutting back just to show like an expression or just like one simple line of dialogue that didn't even need to be there. And so that, that threw me out of anything that's happening in her actual mission because then it would just it would just break that 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 stream of consciousness i had with whatever was happening then be like oh yeah this isn't actually like happening now i know she ends up fine which i didn't expect charlie's to die in this movie necessarily but it's like but i know like okay she's very badly bruised when does when does when does she get all these bruises i whenever she does i know she'll be fine at the end of the day so I didn't love that, um, whether it's uh, James McAvoy, John Goodman, or Toby Jones. I thought they were all good in their performances. James McAvoy probably has the most to do out of those three, where he gets he gets to have some fun, be a little zany. I appreciated that. Um, but at the end of the day, there was just moments where I wanted this just to be a full-on action, just not mindless, but just be a pure thrill ride. And it gets really bogged down at different points with trying to tell its story that gets too convoluted for my liking so at the end of the day i'm gonna give it three ticket stubs out of five okay yeah uh yeah like atomic blonde uh is a vehicle for charlie's throne to kick butt and david leach to you know just show off what an immense talent he is at orchestrating uh action in these set pieces um but yeah as a movie and a story it's not worthy of either of these two people's talents. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Sh- Sh- Theron, like you said, uh, plays Lorraine Broughton, and she has like a stoic nature that reminds me of Daniel Craig's James Bond. Mm-hmm. But also, she's way more cunning, and the the way she pulls off the animated, calculating nature of a like you know an American or uh, British spy is really good i think there's a scene where she when she meets sophie Batella's character um in the bar her eyes as she like um tries to size up a german gentleman right, yeah. or a russian uh soldier foot soldier it's just like oh wow she's doing this really well and then like when they switch roles with sophie Batella there too there's just always something working and i thought theron pulls that off uh Perfectly. Um, Leach said that Theron did 98% of her own stunts. The only two that she couldn't do was a stairwell scene and uh, one of the rope swings because yeah. insurance reasons. So that is awesome. And I think that she, like the the apartment scene where they've basically turned her into um, the female James James Jason Bourne <laughs> with you know John Wick uh, type action and all of that stuff is fantastic um for sporting cast yeah i agree with you james McAvery's probably the most dynamic character uh or not dynamic but just erratic and has Mm -hmm. a lot going with him so there's you're always trying to figure him out throughout most of the movie and that's kind of fun and he's also proven that he's like one of the most versatile actors 
I can think of right now. Um, Split was yeah. an early movie this this year yeah. that he was in that where he pulled off going from you know posh English professor uh, X to uh, seven different personalities. I think in that movie, each one of them totally unique and understandable. And then he goes to this. Uh, I think you described it like, but right before we started recording, is grunge, right? And yeah. that's and that was a really good way to put it. Uh, John Goodman. It's good to see him as like you know a cheery character, even though he doesn't always seem it in the movie. That's that's the impression you get from him, and it's like reminiscent of his Roseanne days. So I I like that he didn't wasn't playing a creepy villain or <laughs> right. an obsessed filmmaker. And yeah, Sophie Patella, I thought her role was actually smaller than I expected it to be. I think she is like inserted into scenes after they initially meet and drives the story forward at the very end more mm-hmm. so than anywhere in between which is great and i do think someone needs to give her a role that's uh heavier than just being a sidekick but yeah david leach um i think you can call the secondary star of this movie because he pulled off you know he he basically melded jason bourne and john wick together like and, you know, they added some action that Zack Snyder, you know, will be proud to watch, right. you know, in more than a few scenes, I think, especially one near the very end. Um, but I want to talk about this one take because this is like, this is where my praise of this movie comes from entirely. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of The West Wing. Thomas Shlami does these magnificent uh, walk and talk shots. And watching this was like watching that where they use just old fashioned camera techniques with crosses in front to substitute as, you know, a good stopping point or swish pans all across the room. And during that protracted fight scene, it just gives this impression of total chaos between two people fighting. And you're just like, what's going to happen next? And by the time we get to our uh, next actor ready to throw their punch, They'll land it, and then we go see the carnage, and then that Charlize Theron, you know, is like readying an iron pan to smack across the dude's face, and it just it creates, um, you know, total mayhem, like a steel cage death match, and it's like anything goes rules. Um, but the problem with the movie, and I, you were you hit on it completely, is the the story. This is based off of a graphic novel called The Coldest City. Mm-hmm. Um, and allegedly they had five and a half years in development of it, but I just don't know how the story came out this bad. Mm-hmm. It, I, I did like the aftermath take. I like Toby Jones and John Goodman having to, you know, like what happened because the fun of the story could be in the twists and turns and the, the intrigue of espionage. Mm-hmm. I love that. But as we move through like the deceptions and the double crosses that the movie is ripe with, it's downright confusing and i think it mistakes plot twists for the you know confusion for the audience you know it's not it's not intrigue and suspense it's just we're just whipping you we're giving you whiplash and that did not work and it's not until the very end that things kind of become crystal clear about what was happening but when you get to that point it's just impossible to believe that that all of that had a methodical purpose to it other than just the, Oh, here's one final wink and a nod. And, you know, I think we'll talk about in the spoilers. So all said and done, I think it's a three and a half for 
action and acting, but story just doesn't hold up across anything. Yeah, no, I think I think that's very fair. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just move into spoilers just so we can talk about anything else we want to talk about freely. <laughs> um, so if you have not seen it, check the timestamp, skip ahead to the news, and talk about it. Just listen to us to talk about everything else that happened throughout the week. But hopefully you have seen it. You can stay with us during the spoiler section where, you know, I think, what, where, where do you want to start with spoilers for this movie? Well, can we try to hash out what happened? Sure. Okay. So in my mind, what happened is she... The the, uh, the the Russians kill one of the Britain intelligence officers. Yeah, the MI6 officer Gascoigne. Right, who has a list of every known undercover operative. Yeah, in Berlin. Yes. So, and it, all, it just so happens that Charlize and that guy were romantically involved mm-hmm. and that... She then is assigned to this mission saying, oh, no, I don't really, I knew him as a, as in passing kind of. Um, and then, so she goes to find the list. She ends up, you know, teaming up with James McAvoy's character. They, he's kind of really, he's really shady because he's been there in Berlin for a very long time. And then at the end of the day, he's the one that is kind of betraying the MI6 and CIA, but then she's also double crossing them to work with, the CIA back in the States, but then she was also working for the gangster guy in Berlin. Yeah. And see, this is, and it's none of that is clear or specified. It's all moments that happen in the movie. And when you finally learn that she may be involved with the CIA is at the very closing moment of the movie, she boards the plane. It's the very last she thing. She drops her British accent and says, okay, let's go home. So she was a CIA plant in MI6. Who then planted her in Berlin. Who was also working as a fake double agent with the Russians. Yeah. If that's to be believed. Because the list that contains every known intelligence officer or spy in Berlin also contains the name and identity of a notorious leaker from yeah, MI6. Satchel, right? Yeah, codename Satchel. And throughout the movie, you're left guessing who that is. Um, the interrogation room. While she's recounting her story and we're watching the movie, she's holding back information that she learns in the story. And especially when it concerns Satchel. And it kind of leads you to think that one of the three men watching the interrogation, either Toby Jones, John Goodman, or whoever was behind the glass wall. I forget who that was played by. But yeah, that one of them may be Satchel, and that's why she's keeping quiet. But then we move on, and we learn that James McAvoy is a rogue agent, just sort of like passing information left and right and back and forth as it suits him. And it's kind of made to believe that he's Satchel. Yeah, I definitely thought he was Satchel. So then when they threw it for a loop after he killed... Sophia Butella and then tried mm-hmm. to kill Charlize. I was like, okay. She then kills James McAvoy. Like, okay, cool. Satchel's dead. He she takes the watch that has the has the has the listing in it, and then she goes back and, and then that's kind of where the movie kind of ends and it goes back to the interrogation room. They they shut off the interrogation and then she goes off on the plane and everything. And I was like, so she so she was Satchel the whole time. But yeah, it just, it was just it was so weird that they 
I don't know that like everybody kind of knew at some in some level like if if it, if it, Satchel's like the code name for mm-hmm. Charlize that the Russians know that the CIA know but then MI6 doesn't know right that's how that works I I don't know because then when McAvoy is getting the watch taken from him at the end of the film uh, I forget what his character's name is Percival yeah uh, when Percival's getting robbed by Broughton. He says, oh, your name's all over that list. And then he's like, well, how are you going to get away with this? She's like, oh, well, Satchel. You know, like and yeah. she's sort of imposing the implication that he's Satchel and he's imposing the implication that she's Satchel. And it gets confusing, but she ends up splicing together, falsifying evidence that the reason that Percival is dead is because he was the double agent. Right. And then, you know, she ends up in that hotel room in Paris where we get the sweet... Um, action set piece that was slow motion Zack mm-hmm. Snyder like where that you see uh, teased in one of the trailers yeah um, and that lo- where it's where it looks like she was the double agent but then she takes down all of the Russians and then boards the plane back to the CIA so it looks like she's selling information but no she's actually just taking care of business yeah and I so it's not ever clear who satchel is i think it's it's got to be her i think i think that's the only way to 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 make that work i guess right because like if if she's like if if mcavoy was satchel why would she have to like frame him to be satchel you know Mm -hmm. like she wouldn't have to splice the tapes or anything if there was like actual evidence like she she had like the photo evidence of him meeting uh, from sophie bedell's character of James McAvoy meeting with that one Russian guy. Yeah. It's like, which was, I don't remember what his role in the whole grand scheme of things was at at the end of the day. But I mean, clearly there's McAvoy's not working directly with MI6 and working for the good of England and everything. Like if anybody was going to be Satchel without being framed, it was going to be him. So the fact that like they included all those framing devices and everything for McAvoy's character, Mm -hmm. I think it has to mean that, you know, Lorraine Braun was a was Satchel and what is some sort of like triple agent. Yeah, but yeah, like that's it's never established what actually happened. It felt like the ending of Salt, only way more confusing Mm -hmm. because there were so many more parties involved. Yeah, and uh, that's where I was just kind of like, well. If this is supposedly the end, at least let me know it's the end. Right. And because how do we know she's not just playing John Goodman's character? Like, maybe like maybe she wasn't dropping her English accent. She was like faking. Oh, I'm American. Like mm-hmm. we we have no idea. Right. There's no consistent pattern in the character, and maybe that's the point. Uh-huh. So if if perhaps this movie warrants a sequel or a prequel or whichever the case, because I heard them talk about both they'll clear that up because that's mm-hmm. something I desperately want. Um, but maybe I need to watch it again and figure out right. what the, like, because there was no clear moment where it was all laid out. There was only one reveal of a master plan and that was to frame Percival's character mm-hmm. in his final moments. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the potential of a sequel or a prequel. Would you want to see a, another film in this universe? Oh yeah, definitely. I love, I love cold war. I love like, I love, I love period pieces, period movies, period. Um, <laughs> World War II being my, probably my favorite, which is 
sounds a little bit morbid, but, uh, and then the eighties and the cold war and spy, uh, would be my second. I mean, like my favorite TV series is get smart from the sixties and it's oh. all about that. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is my favorite. Yeah. I would, I, even though I didn't love the movie, I still thought it was good enough to warrant a sequel if mm-hmm. it makes enough money. And I mean, if Charlize is going to have to wait a couple more years to make, get that Furiosa spinoff movie that, you know, we're all been kind of just waiting for ever since 2015, then if this is what she has to do to get her own action franchise, then I'm totally on board for it. And I mean, who knows if David Leach will be back because he, he's got Deadpool. That's right. Two up next, and maybe the third one as well, depending on how this sequel does. So, I mean, even if this movie does well enough, they could be looking at a new, like a new just direction for the franchise. If it, does become a franchise yeah leach has said and he's he's been on record as saying that him and Throne want to do a franchise out of this mm-hmm. so or a trilogy or whatever the case says and make it hers and i really hope that's the case just really hope they pick up someone that maybe could lay out what happened right a little bit better lay out the storyboard just a little better well, I, uh, I have to think if they do a sequel then we will get or a prequel i guess we'll find out where her true ties actually lie. Mm-hmm. And maybe then in a rewatch of this one, it'll make a lot more sense. Yeah. I <laughs> Which think... I don't, that's not the way to make movies, right? but it's, it's, a, it's a way to work around yeah. problems. At the end of the day though, what does your gut say about the potential of a, a franchise? Well, no, about the movie or her identity, where she's from. <sighs> I mean, it, I have to believe based on the ending that she worked, that she was a, undercover double agent for the CIA yeah. and that she was actually working for John Goodman and that they planted her in MI6 who maybe planted her with the Russians or mm-hmm. maybe it was the other way around. Yeah. Either way, I think, yes, yeah, she is an American at the end of the day and right. not British. And the other reason I would, I, I agree with that is, or one of the reasons I think the biggest piece of evidence is when she gets back on the plane, she re- John Goodman repeats the insult that she uh-huh. muttered underneath of her breath. And that seemed like a too playful of a moment that she hadn't had with anyone in the secret service, British secret service or with anybody in Berlin. Yeah. So. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on atomic blonde? Um, yeah. I just want to give a, I was talking about the one take and the, editor for the movie was Elizabeth Ronald's Dotier. Uh, so I think she did an impeccable job and she's also the editor editor on Deadpool 2. Oh, okay. So, cool. Uh, her talents are going to be all over the place. Good to see. I mean, that's not that surprising. A lot of directors like to use same yeah. editors and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, it's cool to see her, you know, take a take a leap up onto a bigger platform. So, uh, I don't have any other thoughts. That's none of your thoughts on Atomic Blonde. So uh, I give it three ticket stubs. You give it three and a half ticket stubs. That's all we got for a review of Atomic Blonde. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news, and we're going to start off like we do in most weeks with the newest trailers that dropped this week. And the first one we're going to talk about is the newest trailer for Suburbicon. It's directed by George Clooney, starring Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac. What'd you think? It's zany, um, dark comedy, like right out of my mouth. But then 
it reminds me of Matt Damon is playing the character he was in The Informant. Like Kinda. this this totally lifeless, drained character who's going to get w- in way over his head. And <laughs> I don't know what's happening in this movie. And like the, the latter portions of the action and the explosions and the the blood that's flying everywhere. <laughs> but I think the lead up to that is just going to be ridiculous. It looks good. Yeah, I, 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 this movie's been on my radar for a while, and like I knew that this was Clooney directing it, and I knew the cast that was on it, and I was watching the trailer just thinking, man, this is just like straight out of a Coen Brothers movie. That's just what it feels <laughs> like, only to learn afterwards that it is a movie based on the Coen Brothers script. So <laughs> makes a lot of sense why I had those vibes, and I'm a big fan of the Coens. So the fact that this is kind of like their movie, even though they're not you know, directing it or anything, yeah. it it look it looks fun and it looks like Matt Damon's having a fun time in it. He's not, you know, I don't think going for an Oscar or anything in this right. movie or, you know, trying to be an action star. He's just like kind of letting loose a little bit, having fun, getting punched in the face and punching <laughs> yeah. lots of other people in the face as well. So it it just looks super fun and anytime I can see more Julianne Moore and Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. looks like this is a different role for him as yeah. kind of like the villain, but is Matt Damon the villain? Like it's kind of like unclear like who you're gonna like like root for at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it just looks like it just looks like a fun time to come. I think it's like October, November. So definitely want to keep my eye out yeah. moving forward. Julian Moore. I, I don't, she does it so well, but anytime she smiles, like she, she, she portrays pained, like a pained look or a grimace on her face so well. And she's the um, aunt of Matt Damon's or the sister of Matt Damon, I think mm-hmm. in that movie. And Matt Damon loses his wife like early on in the trailer. And she's just like, ah, I need to be here to raise your kid. And, you know, they're talking back and forth. And like just her expressions throughout the scenes just make me think that there's some hilarious moments or some good one-liners in there that are going to come out of the ridiculous logic that these two people uh, are going to get themselves into when they get caught up in what looks like dealing drugs right. or whatever the case is. Cause yeah, Oscar, whatever Oscar Isaac is there for him and that mustache. I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He needs it. I think he has a mustache in that movies with Adam driver, right? Star Wars. <laughs> no, the other one uh, with their country music stars. And, um, uh, Oh brother, where art thou? That's not them, right? No, it's not them. He's not in that movie. I All know right, Adam Driver is, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know what movie you're talking okay, about. Okay, never mind that. Then. But interesting. I, I'm. You've piqued my interest in whatever movie that is. I will dig that up. Okay, come back to you later. But we also got our second official trailer for the It reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this one, the movie that going into the year, I would not have been interested in in the slightest because I'm not a horror guy. But I mean, these trailers look look pretty freaking good so i mean mm-hmm. i'm probably going to be jumping out of my seat because it looks terrifying at floating out of your seat yeah that is. <laughs> you all float in here so yeah i mean <sighs> yeah those lines the way i love that they use that as kind of like the song for the yes. for the trailer we're like it's so much better than doing just like a poppy just any a poppy song or like a slowed down old song or whatever just like using just like that like that kid, whoever that kid is that has like says that line, mm-hmm. like his voice. And every time I hear it, I just like get the picture from that first trailer where he's just like smiling and then he just starts yelling it. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I don't I, know why, but yeah. it, it is. And I mean, Pennywise looks scary. It looks like it's going to be just like a really, I mean, I don't want to say it's going to be fun. Cause it's not in like a sense where like, Oh man, that was so fun to right. see that. But 
like it looks like that band of kids looks like they're gonna be good together and mm-hmm. the fact that this is like basically a part one of two yeah. uh should they get the chance to do a sequel until like the adult tale of this of the these same adults revisiting the town it looks like it's setting up some interesting stuff so i'm all about it yeah the, the little kid's name georgie is played yeah. by jackson scott he and he looks like he's having the time of his life oh, yeah. you know like tr- trying to be scary and this movie couldn't be coming out of like a more perfect time too because we had stranger things last year and that brought back the goonies et vibe of everything um and now season two of that's coming so we're like o- august o- october May- it's like on it's like oh, on halloween or really? something i thought it was august okay never mind but yeah that'll be out in october and this is out in november mm-hmm. no september yeah september yep. yeah okay so yeah everything is lining up bill scarzard as it pennywise the clown super creepy but also what this series this movie i should say has that the tv show didn't have is the is the darkness of the town itself and not just you know tim tim curry as the clown popping Mm -hmm. up in creepy creepy places right um there's a gen and what you know that's what king uh, stephen king was trying to get out in this book was childhood fears growing up and things like that and these kids in this in this trailer you finally learn like they feel alone and isolated and when people go missing or bad things happen you know adults don't talk want to talk about it and that's kind of what this is all representing i think it makes the movie even more terrifying you know when you realize oh they're on their own and anytime we see an adult they are dispassionate or they look like they're the the clown running around town causing all of it. And even though that's, yeah. So super stoked about this. Yeah. So that's uh, the only trailers we're going to talk about this week. And we're going to move on to James Cameron and his continued quest to uh, bring back the Terminator franchise. Uh, As he's said multiple times, and it's known fact at this point, he will be getting the rights back to Terminator in 2019. And he confirmed to news.com.au that he has a trilogy in mind that will reinvent the franchise in some new way. Uh, this three-film arc will begin with Tim Miller's directorial effort in joining this franchise. So we know we have Tim Miller on board for the first one, and James Cameron's going to be heavily involved, even though he's doing 17 Avatar movies. <laughs> yeah. But uh, do you are you interested in more Terminator films and at least a trilogy? I, I, would, I think I said no the first time this story came up, or the mm-hmm. rumor came out that he was looking on getting back uh, into the franchise. But... James Cameron is also probably one of the biggest geniuses, I guess, in Hollywood yeah. right now. Um, I mean, he, what was the last movie he had that flopped? Uh, probably Titanic. No, that movie didn't make no, any no, money no. at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's Is it still number one? No, Avatar is number one. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, right. At 2.9 or whatever, 2.8, and then uh, Titanic's There's, like 2.1 or 4. Uh, yeah, I think when you adjust for inflation... Right. They, okay, well, anyway, the point he is... He makes a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And pairing Tim Miller, a guy that I, I think I've fallen in love with ever since Deadpool, mm-hmm. um, and then just gone back through everything else that, you know, I can find that had his the name on studios, it. Yeah. Yeah, it appears quality, has fun to it. Um, and I'm loving that. And in this uh, in this piece here, as what Cameron was saying, is he's talking about how we finally caught up in the world to where we could see the Terminator trilogy playing out or the terminate the, the, the beginning pieces of Terminator, mm-hmm. unlike what they had in the eighties. 
or even the 90s when, you know, the Matrix came out and there was artificial intelligence, right. but no one knew what the heck that was. Uh, so, yeah, this is awesome, especially if they go the Planet of the Apes route. Let's not let's not do. All right. We're already in the future. Terminator Salvation fight the robots. Mm-hmm. Let's see the birth of Skynet. Let's watch Skynet do good things, cause problems slowly and then arrive at its final conclusion of eradicate humanity over one or two movies and let the third play out as either a conclusion of the opening act of Skynet. And I think that could be really good because, you know, we have like Elon Musk today, like as a Cassandra saying, whoa, careful of AI. Mm -hmm. Then there's Mark Zuckerberg who's like, no, dude, let's put AI in everything. So, you know, the parallels, I think it could just play out really, really well. That is an interesting pitch. I don't know if they'll go that route because I think Terminator's become, or it was at a, in the 80s and stuff, just such a, like one of the biggest action franchises, especially like mm-hmm. T2 and everything. To see them go and take a like dramatic approach would be a way to reinvent the franchise and kind of that its tone. But I don't know if that's exact. I, I don't know if he means like reinventing the way people perceive Terminator movies and more of just like, all right, how do we do more Terminator, but make it fresh and not like, you know, kind of like doing a, a retelling of T1 with, you know, like they did with Genesis or then going to the present day or, you know, doing Salvation or uh, whatever the fourth one was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I, th- I don't know what exactly they'll do. I, I would love to see just like, the actual like fall of humanity and like the war that's teased in T1 so much. Like I'd love to see a movie like that. So if it, if that would be the, like the third film and like your kind of pitch and like it starts with, you know, we get the modern day uh, beginning and just that learn all about that corporation. And then eventually like either that third movie is a flash forward to the, you know, eventual rise of the terminators and stuff that, Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? That that could be an interesting way to do it. But, yeah. I mean, we have no idea what Cameron wants specifically. Right. But he mentioned specifically drones, which are, for all intents and purposes, automated killing machines. Yeah. And that's how it begins. Um, so if someone creates an AI for the battlefield, that's your, that's your uh, ground zero movie, if mm-hmm. you will. That's your rise. And then from there, it's dawn and while robots trying to get eternally smarter and smarter until it gets, becomes a super intelligence. Uh, I, I got excited for this just writing up the my notes today. So. I mean, that's a cool pitch. So, I mean, look, I would be on board if that's what they do. So, uh, we'll move away from Terminator and get to the DCEU where this week we have a new rumor about another director that could leave the fran- leave the universe because it's about time we get another one of those. Uh, this one comes from Mashable where they revealed this week in an article detailing Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder's potential lesser role in DCEU moving forward that they have heard that Dave Ayer may not direct Gotham City Sirens at the end of the day uh, when they reached out to Ayer and his reps for comment on this his reps denied these claims and Ayer himself has seemingly refuted these statements on social media with a series of uh, pictures but with this just being really speculation at this point whether or not Ayer will stay or go on Sirens, which would you prefer? Which do you think is going to happen? I prefer Air stays on Sirens. Okay. And I really hope DC lets him do whatever he wants to do. What, what Warner Brothers lay off. Um, but I guess it wouldn't shock me to see him leave. Mm-hmm. But if the rep flatly denied it, didn't dance around, didn't mince words, um, 
and airs out there dropping photos on social media, you know, Twitter, I think specifically, mm-hmm. I think Mashable just got it wrong. Their rumors, according to rumors, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would not be upset if he like if he left. Like it wouldn't be one of those situations where, oh, Ben Affleck stepped off the Batman, or oh, Rick Famuyiwa left the Flash. Like it wouldn't be one of those for me where I would lose a lot of confidence in this project or like interest or anything. Um, mainly because Ayer, I don't think he would get that ability to do the movie he wants. Like at Comic Con last week, he was talking at the Bright panel about the creative freedom he's had with Netflix to make, you know, just do whatever he wants and not make some studio PG-13 movie, which the only PG-13 movie he's ever made is Suicide Squad. So it's a little shade that he threw at WB, in my opinion, there. And just the way that that whole post-production process reportedly played out, I don't see why as a director you'd want to go back into that, knowing that there's a pretty good chance that that could happen again especially if he tries to take it in a in a darker approach like if this is going to be margot robbie's solo movie with you know featuring catwoman and poison ivy and who knows who else i don't i mean the studio's not going to want that to be a dark movie where i mean they're going to want to be a little more uplifting and lighthearted. i think where you know little girl like not little girls but like you know preteen girls can go in and see that and be like oh like those those are cool characters. Like mm-hmm. they're Catwoman's my new favorite DC character or something. Like I don't think they're gonna want to go back. Man, Catwoman's like really messed up, and so is Poison Ivy, and so is Margot <laughs> Robbie. Like so is like Harley yeah. Quinn. Like I don't see that happening, and I just I don't know. I just wouldn't be surprised if you know in and like Ayers like he was looking to do the Scarface uh, movie as well. So I, he's kind of been flirting with other projects, even though that is happening. That's but right, he got. He got put down from Scarface because of he wanted the darker film, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So Oof. I don't I think that that is just what he does really well in my opinion, is making those darker films. So I don't I don't know why he would want to get back to the PG thirteen realm mm-hmm. that he's complaining about while I could see WB wanting to get away from his antics and his attitude and you know, maybe finding a female director to board this project or yeah something. no kidding I, I i would be all about that but also end of watch isn't that dark and I, neither is fury i mean there's fury's pretty dark that it, but not it, it's the subject matter probably it yeah. is but so much as the relationships between the crew and everything like that mm-hmm. that that carries a really carries a real spirit to it yeah i think but it? i think it's i think it's that maybe it's not dark but I think it's just a mature tone to it and something that's not as, okay. you know, it. neither end of watch or fury. None of those scream $150 million budgets that are going to make $800 million worldwide. Okay. Fair enough. Which I think, you know, I don't, they, I don't want them to make a wonder woman type movie for, you know, Harley Quinn. Cause I don't think that would work, but doing something more audience friendly and more, I mean that was the that was the whole problem with Suicide Squad was his version was you know you look at that first trailer and it is like dark you know that dark and gritty that like that catchphrase everybody uses now like that was that movie that we were pitched at the end of the day you watch that final trailer and it is bright colors neon fun pop songs none of what David Ayer tried to put into that movie right. so if they want to continue with that tone for Gotham City Sirens 
I mean, why why would he be a good fit for that? It, yeah. it just screams that this they're going to butt heads again. So I mean, just cut your losses now. He, maybe maybe he ends up writing the script with Margaret Robbie because they're so collaborative. Maybe, but then someone else comes in to make sure the movie still has, like you said, uh, marketability to the younger demographic, and you can merchandise come holla, you know back to school season with backpacks and right. whatever else you were looking for. Plus this wasn't on their their slate that DC laid out at Comic-Con last week, so we don't even know when this movie could potentially still lie today. So it could be 3 or 4 years before this movie even has a, you know, a release date or even starts filming. So that is a long time to develop a film. That's a long time to sit and wait on a project and I don't think Hopefully, Bright is a big hit for A or Netflix, and then they can either do more with that, you know, kind of world, or he can do other things that interest him as well. So, who I mean, who knows what this? Hundred percent agree with you on Bright. So, uh, sticking with the DCEU, while uh, the future of Gotham City Science is kind of in the air, there is no question about what is next for Wonder Woman two. With uh, Days after subtly confirming that it is in development at San Diego Comic-Con, Warner Brothers has officially dated the sequel for December 13th, 2019. Patty Jenkins is said to be in final negotiations to return. And now that with the switch out of summer and into Christmas, will she dom- dominate the winter season? Uh, yeah, probably. I would say so. Yeah, I don't see why not. And we know that Star Wars is, vaca- is looking to vacate December. They're so out of it. That's out of there. Um, the only thing may come up is James Cameron's Avatar films. That's yeah, not till 2020, so I think it. I think this is a perfect. S- this is a smart date placement. Even though in my mind, you know, we talked about those 2020 dates that Warner Brothers announced last week, and I'm like, okay, three years out, basically the exact same weekend. That seems like a great placement for a sequel to Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a year sooner, which I'm all about because that means we get to see another Wonder Woman movie quicker. Yeah. Um. But also, yeah, taking a winter season that's typically less crowded where Wonder Woman had great legs in the summer. If it has lesser competition in December, I mean, just think about how great it's going to do. Like you think about, you know, the force awakens and rogue one, those movies dominated from the second week of December until, you know, mid to late January. Like it was constantly in top five in the box office. Like those movies just held for so long because there's not that, you know, big family blockbuster that everybody wants to go see. And if Wonder Woman two, or if Wonder Woman's an indication, People are going to come out probably even in bigger numbers to see the sequel and putting that and capitalizing on the loss of Star Wars in December, I think is a genius move by WB. And this will mark the second straight year that they do a movie in that weekend because they have Aquaman coming out next Mm -hmm. year in uh, the winter of 2018. And then putting one of the two out in 2019 seems like a good bet. Yeah. Anytime you put a film, at least from what I have seen, this is not based on actually doing the numbers, but it seems like movies that hit that point right after schools go to winter break or semesters end and you've got the Christmas weeks up there and you've got the New Year's uh, Day weeks up ahead and there's still that intermediate time between classes kicking back up again. Movies are really strong then. And so, yeah, you take you take Wonder Woman's really obscure date in June and was it June? Was that right? I don't know if that's obscure. I mean, it's like really like the like that is the middle of the summer. You, I mean, usually you think like early July, mid July is the blockbuster summer month. I would say, yeah. and this came right after two massive films, which was um, 
was it Guardians and yeah, it was, Transformers? Yeah, Guardians, uh, Alien Covenant, yeah. and uh, Pirates. So reasonably, you could have had some serious film fatigue at, by that point, but mm-hmm. it didn't, and it, it rode a, a massive wave. So, uh, yeah, I am I'm so glad that this is here, but I'm also wondering why wasn't it announced at Comic-Con? Yeah, I, it's just it, kind of it, like... It does, it, that doesn't make any sense to go me. Go figure. Like, even if this was something that, like, they just tag on to the end, like, all right, our panel's over, see you guys, and then, like, everybody else leaves except for Gal Gadot, and there's, like, Gal who said it's time to go, she's like, uh, she just takes the mic, and she's like, oh, by the way, my sequel's coming out mm-hmm. December 13, 2019, drops the mic and walks on stage. Yeah. People lose their minds. Like, mm-hmm. that would have been a great announcement to make. I under, I could understand the perspective or the mindset where they would think, all right, Justice League trailer is going to dominate that day for us, for DC. Let's wait a couple of days and announce it, and then we'll have a new push, a new way to stay in the mainstream talk of you know movie news and stuff. But yeah, I think for to get that reaction in front of fans, for Gal to get just like kind of just like a send off for Comic Con, yeah. the year for a movie, I think would have been a, a genius move. And I hope, I mean, I I just hope that this is that this date. And like this timetable has already been discussed with Patty. So that way, whenever she does officially sign on board, she's not like, oh, shoot, like, okay, I only have, you know, a year and a half to make this movie. Like, right. I don't, I don't want her to feel rushed at all. So hopefully they, this has already been agreed upon. Like if you look at Guardians 2, they announced that sequels, you know, being in development, you know, a, a day or the week before the movie came out. And James Gunn has said, yeah. you know, I'll be working on this movie for the next three years. So, okay, we're getting a 2020 release on guardians three. Basically it's not confirmed, but that is basically the timeline. That's was the timeline of from one to two. So do it from two to three makes sense as well. So as long as Patty Jenkins, and everybody else involved is aware that this is their timetable and they're not going to feel pressured to make any rushes or, you know, maybe brush over some things. I don't think they would do that because I think bad Patty and everybody else involved really cares about the future of wonder woman and, whatever else her franchise holds but you know that's just a concern that popped into my head because of this yeah uh, she shoots her television series with chris pine this fall Mm -hmm. so if that's wrapped up by early spring she sits down in may and they hash out the remainder of the script they work around the production issues do final casting they have everything ready by summer 2018 Mm -hmm. film Film right afterwards or even during I mean that's that movie gets a whole year to edit, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean that's that is WB's you know timetable. You know Aquaman started filming, Aqu- basically if you use Aquaman as the template, Aquaman started filming in like February of this year, I believe, or February, some February to April, somewhere in between there. I'm pretty sure. So if that is the and that if Wonder Woman two is coming out the same weekend a year later, then it has to, it'll probably start filming again basically that same time slot so that at currently gives us basically yeah, like a year and a half for her to or not let not less than that it gives her like nine to nine months to a year to fully develop the the, the concept of the movie write the script cast do any other pre-production work i mean that's not impossible but it is it is a it is a quick turnaround I mean, you've got the you've got the monsters, you've got the machine of Warner Brothers, right. and I'm sure dealt plenty of delegation uh, to get all that geared up, though. So I mean, she'll be working with the story, and yeah, I think it's totally reasonable to expect that she could walk right in from there to that. Yeah, and be gold. 
So uh, that's all we have for the DCEU. Moving on to another franchise that's coming back uh, with another new release date, also in 2019. Bond 25 mm. made some significant developments this, over this past week, uh, starting with the official announcement that the 25th Bond movie will hit theaters November 8th, 2019. Later on, Deadline revealed that Denny Villeneuve, David McKenzie, and Jan Demange uh, were on the shortlist to direct, with Variety later clarifying that it, Demange is the front runner. Also, the New York Times has said and confirmed uh, via multiple sources that Daniel Craig has signed on for a fourth go-around as 007. With all this in mind, what do you make of Bond 25, and which of these three directors do you want to see? Um, okay, well, can I comment on Craig first? Sure. Uh, I think it's his. I think it'll be his fifth, right? Royale, Quantum Solace. Skyfall. Oh, yeah. So yeah, this will be his fifth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If if a guy ex- repeatedly expresses disinterest in wanting to play the role and goes so far as says he'd rather slit his wrist than right. get back on the project, why, why, for the love of all that is Bond, would you ask him to come back? He's good, but there are there is Tom Hardy, there is Tom Hiddleston, and there is there's there's Idris Elba. <laughs> Idris come Elba. on, how? You know, I just, I I get it, I guess. He's bankable, but it, it's Bond 25. If you're going to make a big deal out of it, make a big deal out of right. it. Right. Uh, you know, make make it a woman for Pete's sake or do something other than just go with the guy who just said he hated doing this. Like before they made these announcements, I thought, because there were all those rumors of Christopher Nolan and Tom Hardy doing Bond 25 mm-hmm. and that'll kick off, you know, Hardy's turn as Bond. I was like, that sounds great. Yeah. Even though I wasn't like the the craziest about Dunkirk and I'm like right. super in the minority there, I'd be all about, you know, Chris Nolan and Tom Hardy doing Bond. Like that would be awesome. Absolutely, especially because the guy just did the the movie, the the quintessential film on your nation's greatest your, one of the brightest moments uh, right. from your nation in World War II. Why would you not want to pick him up? That would be perfect. Um, and then, yeah, you grab Tom Hardy or you go Idris Elba and kind of make a say that, all right, time to pivot to something a little different. Mm-hmm. London's different now in the yeah. 21st century or whatever the case is. But um, I I haven't seen um, Yen Demange. Yeah. Or uh, David McKenzie, any of their films. Oh, you haven't seen Hell or High Water yet? I haven't oh, seen Hell or High Water yet. Yeah, I know. Uh, terrible. Um, but... Denny, of course, Denny. enough said. Uh, so I would love to see him on with that, especially because he's he's the most Nolan guy who's not Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan. Um, he works in he works with awesome palettes. He loves to mess around with narratives, and I think it could be fun. You know, a really innovative Bond movie. Um, but you know all about. Mackenzie, have you seen Seventy One? Demanges. I, I did. I watched it this week. It's on. Okay. It's on Amazon Prime. So if you wanna, Perfect. if you or anybody other, anybody else listening want to figure out what Yon Demange is all about, Seventy One is on Amazon currently for Amazon Prime. Uh, you can get it for free, even though you're paying for Prime. I guess so. It's not technically free, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, semantics. Uh, but when I saw these lists before, I'd not seen Seventy One yet, and I love Denny. He is fantastic. But I don't want him to do Bond. I want him to. Do Dune. I think Dune sounds like such a cool property for him to take over. And there's mm-hmm. talks of like, you know, 
they want to do a, a trilogy of Blade Runner movies or whatever, like I think he's going to want to stick with that for a very long time. And as long as I'm going to, I think I'm going to love Blade Runner 2049. And so if he was signed on to do this, then that takes up his schedule for the next two years, which means we don't get a Blade Runner 2 for till 2021 2022 uh dune yeah even later than that probably like i i'm okay with villeneuve not jumping into another franchise i like to see him do his own kind of original stuff Mm -hmm. do his own thing i would like to see him do like a more straight up action film that would i'd love to see what he would do there um yeah i would too actually but david mckenzie i thought i think would be a a great choice for this he, he would be very unconventional in the sense that hell or high water is definitely not an action movie and it is really like a pure western a pure revenge film like i don't know how that would necessarily jive with james bond but if the you know daniel craig's looking at this as this is my last go around uh let's do something different just give me something a new angle to play with the character i think mckenzie could do something really cool with that but after seeing 71, I think Demange would also be a really solid choice if he gets it. The movie's really about this uh, this soldier played by Jack O'Connell who gets trapped behind like enemy lines in um, uh, Belsaft, Belsfast? Belfast, yeah. Yeah, Belfast um, during, during the war, and he has to survive the night, basically. He's like taking the tagline from Detroit, kind of, and mm-hmm. he has to make his way through multiple different, like, sides of the, the the rivalry in the war and just kind of live and it, it's super suspenseful it's really tense o'connell's great in it and if they did something like kind of more like a thriller-esque bond movie like that would be cool too so depending on, i don't care which one of these guys gets it i'll be on board for any of them uh if i had to do a personal favorite it would be mckenzie because i'd love to see him take on a bigger thing next but with variety saying demage is the front runner I trust Variety, and he'll probably be the guy, and I'm I'm, I'm on board for that. So. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, you have uh, Villeneuve, who is French, isn't he? I think he is. I don't know. He's not. Demange is. I think or is Demange French too? I think they're all French directors. Most <laughs> of them are. No, no one was the only English director I knew right off the top there. Uh-huh. That I was like, oh, that seems like a no-brainer, especially yeah, now. It really but, does. But I mean, if Demange has already made a film, on, you know, about. Uh, that too. Yeah, and it was much more character driven than sounds like. It's much more character driven anyway. Yes, than what Nolan did. So yeah, it'd be a perfect pickup. Yeah, especially because Nolan's probably a little bit more stuck up to. Yeah, plus I mean, consider a Bond as, film. Yeah, as great as a Nolan Bond movie would be, I'd I'd love to see Nolan do his own stuff. Yeah, again, like do do his own thing. Hopefully, him and Jonathan have something being cooked up. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. I mean, well, Jonathan's been doing Westworld, so it's true. That's why he didn't do, help out with Dunkirk. But. So. Yeah, uh, so yeah, and yeah, for Craig, I, I mean, yeah, I'm fine with him being back. So, uh, moving on to a John Wick, we have news of the expansion of the John Wick universe with the Hollywood Report revealing that Lionsgate has picked up a, a female action script from 23 year old Shea Hatton titled Ballerina. Uh, which they will uh, then retrofit to fit the John Wick universe. The film was described as, quote, uh, centered on a young woman raised as an assassin who must hunt down the other assassins that murdered her family. So based on that plot alone, sounds very John Wicky uh, on that concept. So, you know, 
with this premise in mind, with the Lionsgate looking to expand the John Wick universe, do you want to see Ballerina? Do you need to see more of the John Wick universe, or are you good with just the Keanu Reeves standalones? Well, yeah, well, I'm, I am gr- just fine with the Keanu Reeves standalones. But this right here too sounds phenomenal. It's they say it's also described as being in the same vein as La Femme Nikita, the mm-hmm. 1990 movie, um, which I've seen parts of, believe it or not. But also super stylized. In terms of like you know along the lines of Quentin Tarantino and Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, that sounds bizarre. It, in it the, sounds in a good way. Epic. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, ad- totally. Uh, put it in there. Cre- blow up, uh, fill out this entire world that John Wick lives in that I absolutely love. Um, especially because it seems like wick isn't gonna survive the night or whatever the case is gonna be you know come chapter three who knows uh, yeah absolutely it, so maybe this person will help him out please gear up to keep that intriguing world of assassins uh going moving along uh and the, yeah this sounds fantastic and you're i think you are good for this oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm a huge fan of John Wick and the second one. Uh, so yeah, to see a female take on it with like the pitch sounds more like a younger take. So not like, whereas John Wick is the legend of John Wick and mm-hmm. is backing him. This is more like the origin story. It sounds like, so uh, I'm, I'm all on board for that. I think this is a very cool story for Shea Hatton being the assistant to RDJ, like yeah. one of the biggest icons in Hollywood currently uh, to then get hit, one of his spec scripts picked up. The other one being on the blacklist, like, Apparently, I'm guessing we'll probably see a lot more of this guy in the future of Hollywood as well. So, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the first thought I had of this was, oh, it's a Black Widow movie. Mm-hmm. Th- that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, it's probably not going to star Scarlett Johansson because I'm guess if if this is an origin story, I'm guessing they'll do a younger a younger take on it. But then again, you never really know. But I think it could be like the next generation of like Kill Bill kind of like just yeah. have it be like a. P- like just a pure revenge movie, super violent, uh, just female driven. And if we can get like the next Uma Thurman out of it, like uh, sure, like yes, give give it to me. I don't know who should direct this movie or anything. The first one I thought of was like Lexi Alexander. Uh, she's a really prominent, uh, you know, stunt person, TV director. Mm-hmm. She did uh, one of the Punisher movies as well. Um, but other than that. I don't really care who directs. I don't think it'll be either the either Leach or Stahelski because they 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 just keep getting more and more yeah. projects. So uh, I'm definitely in, I'm definitely interested in Ballerina and whatever it'll be called uh, in the future. You got you said Detroit earlier. Now I can only think of Catherine Bigelow. I mean that'd be cool. I mean she's I mean, yeah I don't know what she'd do with a like a real action film, but uh, I would definitely be interested in it, that's for sure. Yeah, same here. So, uh, speaking of John Wick, that kind of leads into our big question of the week, which, you know, we're talking about Atomic Blonde. We reviewed it this week and, you know, it's talking about this whole, this year we've had, you know, Wonder Woman and over the past years we've had, you know, Hunger Games mm-hmm. and, uh, we have, you know, Daisy Ridley leading Star Wars. Now there's a lot of movements for more female franchises, female empowered roles and everything. So we thought we would use the big question this week to discuss possible candidates to lead ballerina and you know kind of launch the next female 
action star of this next generation. Hopefully, this would be the start of a franchise for this character uh, and could just be another leaping point for whoever would play this. So, uh, we both have multiple suggestions for who could play this mystery role. First one I have, we'll just kind of go back and forth until okay, we've sure. run out of options. Uh, Gal Gadot, I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, it's kind of an obvious choice. <laughs> uh, she already has Wonder Woman. <laughs> But we know that she can pull it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of has that that ballerina physique, uh, which I think isn't necessarily important or anything. But she's also still like in her thirties, late twenties, so she's still young enough where she could still kind of be fresh out of assassin school or yes. whatever and go on these go on this mission. So For sure. uh, that that was my that was the first option that popped in my head. But that was kind of an easy one. Okay, yeah. Um, right off the top, I have Lily James. Uh, because I firmly believe she deserved better than her role in Baby Driver. She did great, but she deserved better, and she definitely deserves way better than this Churchill propaganda movie that they're coming out with. Like you're not, uh, you don't, you're not interested in that one. I am not. I, first of all, I don't. Yeah, I, Gary Oldman looks like he's doing a great job. He's unrecognizable. Unrecognizable, but so is Jonathan Lithgow because he's playing Churchill in The Crown. Okay, and I thought he did a way better job than what. Uh, Gary Oldman's doing here and plus I think <laughs> Church this doesn't look like a nuanced portrayal of Churchill so much as it does you know like a Dunkirk style right and I think there are some things about Churchill that should be explored but that's that's a different story <laughs> who's number two for you number two uh, well no particular order really uh, Alicia Vikander okay she's, oh, she's got Tomb yes. Raider up next so she's on the verge of having her own franchise assuming that or hoping that does well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can never assume that with video game movies, but of course, uh, between you know, Ex Machina, Man from Uncle, uh, just continue to be a big fan of Alicia Vikander, and to see her take on this again, uh, just she has that she has just like the look I think of ball, of a ballerina, but also the 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 I think just she's 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 a she's a tiny girl, but I think that would play so well in like the assassin world where she would be just like taking down just like these just like monster dudes or just oh, anybody yeah. else. Like you look at like Charlize, Charlize is like, I don't know, like six, two or like she, she's tall. Is she that tall? Wow. She is, she is a, she is a tall, you know, you know, just a powerful looking woman. And not to say that Vikander is not, sure. but they are definitely different in their physical looks of one another. And to see her be that like assassin, just, I think that would just be a cool way to do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, that you good? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So then I've got, uh, Nathalie Emmanuel. I almost put her on my list. Yeah, well, I, you know, she is done. I think she did a great job in Furious seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are like her first movie role. I think that, I think the world would probably recognize that. Her in. That was the first time I saw her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she plays Cypher, mm-hmm. um, eight, a much more prominent role. Uh, even if the rest of the movie was a mess, but also game of Thrones fans will yeah. know her as Daenerys right hand. Uh, so, I think she is a phenomenal actress and is and should be allowed to excel. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's my that's my number two. Yeah, no, I I I totally agree with that choice. Mm-hmm. I think that she my, I think she would be a really solid she one. She was the first name that came to my mind, and especially she would definitely fit that mold of like at least in my list. I kind of mixed it with like just being on that edge of you know stardom and sure. also unknowns. I think she's right there in that sweet spot of. People from Game of Thrones will know her and, you know, from Fury 7 and stuff, but she doesn't have that, like, 
career defining role yet, mm-hmm. and this could totally, totally oh, be yeah. it for her. Um, other one I have Naomi Scott from oh, Power yeah. Rangers. I don't think that's going to be a franchise, unfortunately. Uh, she is up on Aladdin next and stuff, but uh, it's another one that I think you know she's young. Uh, she looks like she could do her own action stuff in Power mm-hmm. Rangers, and putting her in an assassin world seems like a good fit to me <laughs> yeah totally um i'm gonna follow the thread that i w- had here with game of thrones and say sophia turner okay uh, i x-men is not gonna i mean listen those i don't i'm not gonna prejudge dark phoenix right but she is better than x-men movies everyone in an x-men movie is better than an x-men movie <laughs> yeah i i, I firmly oh. believe that um and i think she could do it Totally. Um, she thinks she's she's English, I believe. So if they go like the whole Russian take, and you know, they closely follow the right, Black yeah. Widow, <laughs> you know, kind of idea that this sort she of got the red hair and everything. From. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I think she could totally crush it, especially because I don't know if you're watching this season of Game of Thrones. I yet. am. I okay. Am. Yeah. It's so good so far. It is. Um, it is really good. Can't wait for the third episode. She's grow. Her character's growing a lot more independent and seemingly vicious and decisive. And Sophia Turner is playing that really well. And I think that she could do that in an assassin John Wick stylized action film too. Mm. This is not on my list, but since you mentioned Sophie Turner, what about Maisie Williams? <sighs> yeah, absolutely. She would be, she would be almost too perfect of a, like a fit for yeah, the role. I was just thinking of like the beginning of the first episode of the season and just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she could definitely do that. Um, but the only thing I almost put her down, but I just don't think any studio head would be like, cast Maisie Williams right yeah I don't know if she, she'd have the physicality to do it that's or, or that's just, my thing yeah the star power I I think she's fantastic but I don't think star power to pull yeah. in you know an entire uh film by herself would yeah be. I mean maybe after Nubians I mean that could be totally different you never know uh so the other one I have uh Kira Knightley oh because I feel okay. like we don't see enough of Kira Knightley we don't she is she is fantastic uh she was great in the beginning of i mean she's great in all the pirates movies she is the quality of the movies that's a different conversation Mm -hmm. but i want to see more of her and to have her have her own franchise potentially uh that sounds cool to me so i would love to see more kira so what you're saying is love actually 2 isn't gonna do it for you (laughs) no okay (laughs) fair enough um, I'm going to go, okay, next up I have is someone that I think m- most of people are familiar with, uh, Catherine Watterson. Yeah. Uh, she had her, she had the spotlight in the Alien Covenant franchise, even though her, the film I should say, but even though her future there is very uncertain, mm-hmm. I think she's likely toast. Probably. Um, but also she's got the fan- Fantastic Beast movies, and this would be like a really good, not pivot, but it looks like she's going to get known for that role for quite a while mm-hmm. with fans, but this would be perfect. I think for her, um, she, it looks like she has that physicality too. Like you said, um, and yeah, I just feel like she could really bring it in an action movie of her own. Very cool. Uh, other one I have is an- another one kind of tied to a Tom blonde. And you mentioned we need to see her get her own thing. Sophia Patella. Oh yeah. I mean, she, She's showed the stunt work. I'm pretty sure she she may have even have a ballerina background. I don't quote me on that, but okay. I feel like I've read that before. Um, and yeah, I think she would she would absolutely kill it, and I think she'd just be a great fit in that John Wick universe. And you know, if they do a John Wick approach, like 
we have not seen Sophie Patella, you know, lead a movie yet. Mm-hmm. And Keanu at the beginning of the career, his career, he always got the criticism of, you know, he's just kind of one note. He's not, you know, that expressive. And I don't think we've seen exactly the full range of what Sophie Patella can do, or even if she has that ability to do so. But if it's a similar approach, then she doesn't, she wouldn't be relied upon to kind of have this breakout, you know, Oscar caliber performance. Yeah. And, you know, we know she can do the stunt work and the physical nature of it. So I'd be all about that one. All right. Um, I've got Veronica Osorio. Osorio. Okay. Um, you'll know her from Hail Caesar and one episode of Girl Boss. I have uh, no so, idea who this is. Okay. Um, she plays the date that Alden Einreich um, takes, Carlotta Valdez. Okay. And I she, um, I went down the rabbit hole of gr- the girl's girl boss, and she has like a maybe a five, ten-minute part in that episode. And she was funny, um, charismatic, but also, you know, had had a, had a arc where she just gets furious and i thought oh wow she could totally pull off some kind of larger role and we haven't seen her in anything since so i think she would be a great she's an unknown so she may not have the star power Mm -hmm. to pull in but um i think she'd be a good fit for a film like that yeah jumping off your tv uh mindset uh once just i was christian serratos from the walking dead uh, she is the uh, the one that used to love Abraham, uh, but I can't remember her actual character name on the show. She's also on Ned's Declassified. Uh, oh, yes. Okay, I know who you're talking uh, about. Yeah, is it Ro- Rose? Rosie's? Yeah. Um, that might be her name. But yeah, I think she... Uh, it's again, it's more of a physical thing where I think she would she can pull off that action stuff. Um, who knows what her future holds on The Walking Dead? I certainly don't. And, you know, that would definitely be a very unknown casting, but one that if it were to happen, I would get behind. All right. Fair enough. Um, I've got Olivia Wilde. Okay. She, I, Olivia Wilde, I think she's been doing a lot of comedies and dramas lately, but mm-hmm. still in film. Um, and there's nothing, there hasn't been anything out there that she's like really excelled in. I think Vinyl was her latest like HBO show and that got yeah. canceled after one season mm-hmm. or like five episodes. Yeah. It was so terrible. Uh, but I think she could totally pull it off. She has the uh, name power to bring it in and um, she's a fantastic actress. That I think she does Broadway too. And she could totally pull off of a, a range, um, especially in a revenge film like uh, Ballerina is, seems. Yeah, the uh, the last suggestion I have is one uh, close to my heart as a Marvel fan, uh, and probably since Agents of Shield doesn't have that much longer on air, Chloe Bennett. Okay. Uh, she has come a very long way since season one, where most people who watch that show uh, could not stand her character, and now she's one of the like one of the favorite characters uh, on the show, and also just in terms of the kind of the MCU in total. When you look at superpowered people, and she's grown a lot as an actress uh, doing stunt work as well. And I think she could do it. She, uh, in my mind, has the ability to carry one of those movies. Mm-hmm. It would be, in my mind, this is a small budget film that, you know, as long as it makes uh, $80 million worldwide, it makes its money back probably. And I think, you know, Chloe Bennett's not, you know, a household name or anything, but I think with, the Marvel support, but also just the John Wick brand on it. 
she would be a very unknown approach to take, but there'd still be that potential that if the movie does well, I think she would still be able to, you know, handle the pressure of the franchise and lead it on moving forward. Plus, I would just love to see her make a break into the movie world eventually. So okay. that's the last suggestion I have. And I've got one more too. Okay. And mine is Allison Brie. Um, she just did a phenomenal, she just finished, she was in Glow, the, new, the newest Netflix series. And she is so good in it. Um, mainly her character has to take on a Russian persona and while she's doing that, well, obviously, first of all, Glow is wrestling. Yes. So immediately my mind snapped to that. She's already gotten down stunt work for things like that, getting that taped and recorded. Perfect. That's in the bag. Two, she's been everywhere. I mean, she's been in movies uh, ranging from romantic comedies to, I think she has a role in the Lego movie as a voice actress. Yeah, she's, uh, she's the, the, the unicorn kitty. Or yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then... Um, I think she was in Get Hard too with Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. Yeah, Will Ferrell's wife. Uh, so she's been everywhere, and putting her in a film would to- I think would totally work. Recognizable, and that could you know propel her into um, stardom and really could get the work done down and in. And I, I think she would be a great choice too. Yeah, I mean, I I know she's uh, auditioned for multiple Marvel roles, including I think Black Widow. So. Uh, she has some kind of connection to ballerina origin stories already. So, All right, awesome. Uh, it could be the connection there. So that's those are our suggestions for the next, the female John Wick. Uh, who knows if any of these will actually be who they select. We have no idea. Uh, we may not even know for a while. So this could be a topic that we have to wait on to actually find out you know, if we were close or if we were super far off <laughs> or if we nailed it uh, right on the head. But that's, uh, you know, what, like... 12 or 15 suggestions for you there, Lionsgate. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, <laughs> probably yeah. not. But, you know, there are some ideas to float around. But that's all we got for this week. Uh, but before we sign off, Josh, what are we viewing next week? We're going to climb the Dark Tower. That's correct. Even though the movie's uh, future, its quality is looking dark as well. Yeah. Screeners haven't even been sent out yet. I don't think embargo lifts until the day of opening night. <laughs> Yikes! Or maybe the day before. So it's not the greatest sign unless there's some crazy, crazy twist they don't want to leak out early, which I don't see happening. But it's one of my favorite Stephen King book series. So to see, and I know that they innovated, quote for quote, off of you know the source material. Um, so I, I just, I hate to see it become a train wreck and just, it looks like they went the route of stylized action, no plot. And that's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, it, this is what, there were seven dark tower books or something, yeah. right? And their hope is to abandon all of that source material, do something fresh building off of the books that will then launch a companion TV series to run alongside the hopeful sequels. So uh, they're clearly ambitious in the Dark Tower future. I do not think they will even get to sniff those possibilities. Mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't yet to be interested in this movie from the get go, really. Uh, even if it's a Stephen King adaptation, just the trailers haven't sold me. It has, you know, McConaughey and Elba. Sure, they're great, but I don't know what this movie is about. I don't see any buzz for it anywhere. 
I think it's going to bomb pretty hard, uh, unfortunately for them. But, uh, yeah, we will be reviewed it next week. And hopefully, you know, we have changed tunes and it's a masterpiece and something we're clamoring to see more of. But as of this point, I don't see that happening. Yeah, we definitely are going to have to account for some some bad bias uh, during the review. That's for sure. Yeah. So that's all we have for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star view with comments, telling us what you enjoyed and what we can do better on to keep you listening. Um, but that's all we got. So, Darren, tell me, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered. Buy between us at Friends and Film, where you'll see updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends and Film podcast. Josh? Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And be sure to return next week for a review of The Dark Tower.